Hey, covers towards the Yoders. We were given Romans 16 to um, cover, so we're just going to dive right in. Emily, you want to start us off? Hi. So, chapter 16 begins with Paul commending his sister Phoebe for uh, her service in the church. And I love this beginning because it's such a great reminder that uh, women are needed in the church. They have purpose and place in the church. And I think um, modern feminism would maybe tell us that uh, Christianity is not inclusive to women or oppressive to women. But here we have a great example that women were uh, esteemed and they were very important parts of the body of Christ. Yeah, and then it goes along down through the greetings and everything like that, which, I mean, we kind of glance through, it just seems like it's a whole bunch of names, but, I mean, it's still early members of the church and they were a family, so it's important that, like, we see that they're connecting with one another um, and Paul encourages that connection, which then kind of d- delves further down into the next section, which is avo- talking about divisiveness, which um, avoiding different people within the body that might want to cause divisiveness um, just by either by deception or whatever. We just need to be wary of those things. Um, so that's a very important warning from Paul there. Yeah, and just what Jordan was saying, like I my tendency was to glaze through these greetings, but then reading... Uh, his warning against divisive people, going back through that, he's literally giving us an example right here. He is remembering his brothers and sisters. He's encouraging them in their work in Christ. And that is so important that when we serve with people over and over, it's so hard to remember. We need to encourage, encourage, encourage. So he does this whole long paragraph of all these people that probably need encouragement. And he's um, commending them and asking people to pray for them. And that's what we should be doing for our brothers and sisters too. I think that is the perfect way to uh, guard against divisiveness is by doing what Paul literally was just doing. Yeah, absolutely. And then we kind of just go down to the end and it's wrapping up to the saying about how, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. So just saying that like the Lord can establish you through the gospel to be like better steadfast stewards of him. I mean. Yeah, and at the very end it says, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Reminding us that we are not just encouraging one another and not being divisive for our own sakes, for our own glory, but at the end of the day, everything that was written, all that he's saying to the glory of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about. Amen. And we'll throw it on to Pastor Victor. said it before, I am blown away at how the epistle of Romans has gone from the videos, just everything about it. Everyone who came and shared, it's just amazing. And I'm so thankful once again that I did, I did not forget about the 16th chapter because we were going through the book of 1 Samuel, but thanks again. But as we look at Romans 16 tonight, let's pray real quick. Father God, As Emily and Jordan said, Lord, it's so easy to look at those 15 chapters of Romans and then just quickly blow through the 16th chapter. But Lord, you put every word there. Every word is God breathe. So it matters. So Lord, let us glean from your scripture tonight. Let us Uh, understand from your word and how to establish us and build us up, Lord, for the edification of the church and the glorification of Jesus Christ, Father. Renew our spirits. 
Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we may be trees of righteousness planted by the Lord. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Paul will do six things. What's up, Jim? How y'all doing? Hey, I do it all the time. Hey, girl. Hold up. Give me a second. I'll be right back. <laughs> I don't have COVID. Give me a How you doing, pretty? Hey, it's going to be a short lesson anyway, so I can, I can do that. Back. Paul will do six things in this chapter. The first thing he commends to the Roman believers, uh, Phoebe, who's a sister in the Lord, verses one through two. And then the second thing he will do, he urges the Roman Christians to greet various of their numbers there. That's, that word greet, we will see it about 16 or seven times, 16 or 17 times in this chapter. And it's imperative. Paul is saying, this is what I would do and this is what I want you guys to do, to greet one another. The third thing, he sends greetings to the Roman Christians from others. The fourth thing, he warns the believers in Rome, as you were speaking of, about false teachers. The fifth thing, he assures the believers of final spiritual victory. And you know, as we go through these tough times, sometimes we may waver and begin to doubt, will we have victory over this temptation, over this sin, or even over the things of the world? But God says, yes, we will have the final victory. And then the sixth thing Paul does, he prays that the grace of our Lord Jesus might be with them. Now, these personal greetings that we're looking at this evening, they may seem strange that Paul would put them at the beginning of the letter because usually he puts these greetings at the end of the letter. And it's very ironic that he would do this because once again, Paul has never met this Roman church or these church households before. So even as he's commending Phoebe and he's uh, exhorting this fellowship, Paul does it in a way, even though he has not met them before. Remember, this is a, a, a mostly Gentile fellowship here. Paul says, I can do this because the Lord Jesus Christ has called me to be the apostle of the Gentiles. So he's coming in that authority. He says in Romans chapter 11, verse 13, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And then he says, I magnify my ministry. I boast in this ministry that the Lord has given me. So once again, he writes with this authority. Paul usually brings to the attention at the end of his epistle, once again, these these fellow believers. But he's doing this early because he's asking them to do something for him, for Phoebe. Once again, he's commending Phoebe to them. And Phoebe, as Emily said, she's a prominent leader in this church at Corinth here. And Paul is sending her with this epistle to the Romans. So he's saying, so when Phoebe gets here, I want you guys to welcome her. And we're going to find out it's more than just, hey, glad you're here. Paul is saying, hey, I want you guys to take care of her while she's here. So he says, I commend to you 
synistomai is the word. It means to set together, to introduce favorably. That's what Paul is doing with Phoebe here. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, a fellow believer, and once again, probably a Gentile, who is a servant of the church in Chinchuria. Paul would have had plenty of times or opportunities to get to know Phoebe here because he was eight miles away in Corinth. Paul spent about 18 months there as he writes this letter, this epistle to the Romans. And as we read about Phoebe, we're going to find out that she's no ordinary believer here. Paul says, who is a servant of the church in Chinchuria? Servant, Paul uses that word. It applies to any Christian. Diakonos is the word. Every believer, whether you just got saved today or you've been saved 30 years, every believer is a servant or a minister of Jesus Christ, not only to Jesus Christ, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Phoebe has effectively served the church to which she belongs. Paul, he will often apply the term diakonos to himself and co-workers. Some think that this title that they give Phoebe here makes her the, the, the lead pastor or, or the leader of the church. But the qualifications of a deacon at this time, we have to understand, is very fluid. It hasn't really been established yet. And the word deacon. So let me read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, the qualifications of a deacon. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. I forget. Got the epistle that the word deaconesses. I know my mom goes to a Baptist church and they have deaconesses. I guess that's okay. But my point that I'm making here is that Phoebe is not the leader of this church. She holds a high office here. And the reason she holds this high office here is because she's a servant of the Lord. What she would probably do, she would probably visit the sick uh, relieved the poor, and she probably had financial oversight of the people who would come into this area because Phoebe was a woman of great means here. It says in verse 2, Paul says that you may receive her in the Lord. Give her a Christian welcome. He says in a manner worthy of the saints, meaning welcome her into the fellowship, but also once again assisting her in her lodging, if she needs somewhere to stay, food and things like that. Paul says, and assist her in whatever business she has need of. And it seems most uh, commentators or theologians think that she's going to uh, preside over this legal matter that's going on here. Once again, she was a woman of means. And Paul is saying the way Phoebe has served 
here at the church of Corinth reciprocate that as she goes to Rome and do, do the same things. I went to a funeral. My uncle uh, he had his funeral today. And as the pastor was teaching and all those things, I began to think of all of the things we do down here that turns into wood, hay, and stubble. That none of those things matter except what we do for the Lord. And this verse comes to my, my attention. It's Revelation 14, 3. He says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. We have to work down here. And then he says, and their works follow them. The things we do for Christ, not our labors, our jobs that we have to go to, but the things we do for Christ follows us. And that's something we need to remember. It seems as if Phoebe remembered that all the time. So as Paul begins this greeting here, he will mention 26 individuals, two families, and three house churches. He's also wanting to secure a welcome because remember, Paul has has never been to Rome. So he's uh, setting the foundation for him to go to Rome because when he gets to Rome, he wants to go to Spain from there. So he's laying the foundations from this. As we read these names, most of these names are either slaves or freedmen and women who once were slaves. Not many rich, not many noble are in the kingdom of God. And it's it's fascinating that as we read these names, most of them are slaves, like I said. Verse 3, first thing Paul says, Greek Priscilla and Quicca. And Aquila, he mentions this couple first because they will be laying the foundation. They know Paul and they can give good word about Paul and his ministry. This is the first husband and wife missionary team here. And we'll find two more in this epistle. Remember, he first meets them at Corinth on his second missionary trip. Luke tells us that the two They were originally from Pontus. And remember, uh, Claudius had sent out an edict, and he says, all of the Jews must leave from Rome. And so that's why they dispersed from there. And they came to Italy. Uh, They meet Paul at Ephesus because Paul, he was a tent maker. We know that. But so was uh, Priscilla and Aquila also. So they got along well. So Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. These two commitment to both ministry and Paul was fascinating. They took hold of Paul. They had a close-knit relationship. And it's amazing. It says, who risked their own necks for my life. We read in the book of Acts, all of the things Paul went through, shipwrecked, three nights in the sea, all of these things, beaten, stoned, all of these things. But I'm thinking when they say they risked their own necks for him, I'm reminded when uh, Paul goes into Ephesus and they were screaming out, great is Diana, the God of Ephesus. 
and they wanted Paul to go back in the praetorium, in, in the auditorium, and he wanted to go back in and speak, but they wouldn't let him go back in. And, I, and I'm kind of thinking it was Priscilla and Aquila that stopped him from going there. But he says, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, when he says all of the churches of the Gentiles, I don't know if he's saying because I did not lose my life, I had the opportunity to plant more churches. And now all of the churches of the Gentiles are saying thank you also. Or a lot of these churches, they know Priscilla and Aquila. He says in verse five, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So they have a house church there also. He says, greet my beloved Epianos. Epianos means praiseworthy. Now, Paul will say beloved about three or four times in this chapter. Some people he knows that he will say beloved to. Others, it's a semi-formal word of greetings. So Paul, once again, he's paving the way to go to Rome at this time. This Epianos, he's never mentioned in the New Testament again. But he says, about him, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. So he was the first convert to Christianity in the province of Asia. He also says, greet Mary who labored much for us. Mary, we know is a Jewish name, can be a Gentile name, but most common it's a Jewish name. But notice this thing about her, who labored much for us. I'll probably get myself in a little trouble here, but it does not matter. It's the truth. We will find these people all the way through this chapter. Paul will commend them for serving, for working. Once again, the church problem today, it's not that we don't have work to do. We have plenty, ample of work to do. But it's, the problem is carving out time for the believer to do the work. If it's convenient for me, I'll come and serve. They didn't have to worry about this here. They served. They labored. And that's why the Holy Spirit is praising them. He says in verse 7, greet Andronicus. And that's a common name in Junia. This is another husband and wife team here. They had a problem with Junia because they said it could be a woman or a man, but around the 13th century. And be, after that, below that, they were saying, no, they started out, the commentator says, no, this is a woman. So we're going to ride with that. So he says, and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. Where the Paul is saying they suffered the same kind of experience in the service of the Lord, like him, or he's saying they were with him in prison for the gospel. We don't know but they are like-minded in suffering for Christ. He says, who are of note among the apostles? Some say they were one of the apostles. Then we know they weren't one of the 12. When Paul says the word apostle, he means emissaries, uh, special messengers. Uh, anytime I see apostles so-and-so these days, I'm a little leery of that. But my second thing, I said, they may be an apostle, a special messenger, because that can be anyone. 
but they're no a apostle. They're not any of the 12. Those aren't around anymore. They don't write scriptures anymore and all those things. So he's, so I'm thinking that the apostles here knew these two who were also in Christ before me, probably at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came down, they came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior before Paul and his journey on the road to Damascus. He says, greet Amplius. Amplius means large. Once again, probably a slave or a freedman. Some say this man, the reason they know his name is Amplius. This is one of the guys in the first century that they found his name, his tomb in the catacombs. His name was Amplius. He says, my beloved in the Lord. Then he says, greet Arbanus. Arbanus means polite. Probably also another slave or a freedman. He says, our fellow worker in Christ. Paul may have known this guy by reputation. And then he says, and Stachus, we know nothing of him, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Now, when he says approved in Christ, we know that word approved means, the, the Greek word is uh, dokamos. You put, it's a marketplace term. You put that piece of lamb on one scale and you put the weights on the other until it balances out. A dokamos, worthy, weight word. And that's why Paul says, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. That's what all of us should strive to be. Not just being a believer, but being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being approved by Jesus Christ. Waking up every morning and saying, Lord, this is your day. I've died to myself. I now live for Christ. What do you want me to do for you today? It's not about me anymore. That's how you become approved in Christ. Paul continues. He says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. These are probably, once again, a church family in his home. Aristobulus is probably an unbeliever. Either he's an unbeliever or he's died by this time because Paul says nothing about greeting him, but the slaves and the freedmen that are believers in his household. Verse 11, he says, greet Herodian, my countryman, also a freedman, a Jew, in the service of one of the Herods. Can you imagine being in Herod's palace, any of them, from Claudius to, to any of the rest of them, Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, any of those guys, living in there, hearing about this Jewish Messiah who's come and saved the world and becoming a believer. Paul says, The gospel has been set free. I forget the Greek word he uses for it. It's it's had a clarion call throughout. It's what we're going to do with the gospel that matters. Everyone, especially in America, I'm sure has heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in this tough place in Herod's palace, he becomes a believer. Paul says, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, another freedman. He, he served Emperor Claudius here, who are in the Lord. 
Paul says, greet Tryphena and and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. We're probably slaves or freed women right here. Tryphena means delicate. And Tryphosa means dainty. Paul says, greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Rufus. Remember the guy who helped Jesus carry his cross on on Golgotha going up the hill? Simon of Cyrene. Well, Rufus is his son. And this is the Rufus they're speaking of here. Simon of Cyrene would never forget. Thinking he was going probably his first and only trip to Jerusalem for the Passover Seder. And he doesn't get to go there because he has to carry the cross of the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That's the closest he could have ever been to the Passover. And when he went home, I believe, and told his family about what he had seen and the life-changing event that happened because of Christ, I believe his whole household were born again. That's why it's so important for parents to live holy lives. Once again, not perfect lives because we can't do that, but we can live sanctified, set apart lives where our children know our faith and who we believe in. That goes a long way. And this is the Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Philagian, Hermas, Protobos, Hermes, probably a slave or a freedman, and the brethren who are with them in the same household church. Greet Philolochus and Julia, seems to be another husband and wife team, Neurosis and his sisters, probably their children, and Olympus a member of their household, and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, that's hard to do in our day and age with COVID around. But this holy kiss was something that all of the believers would do, especially in Judaism, and it really transferred over to Christian believers. I say that because of what First Timothy says in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Even with that holy kiss, I call it now a holy hug. You know, usually you just hug somebody by the side. That's, that's good enough. But this is what Paul says. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. You young bucks remember that, okay? But exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Here, this is what I want you to see. Older women as mothers, and here it is, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's set apart from his creation, and he wants his children to be set apart and live holy holy lives without spot and blemish. So this holy kiss was important. 
He says, greet one one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Then he says in verse 17, and he changes gears here. He, He has a point, some points to make. I urge you, you brethren, note those who cause division and offensive. That word urge is the Greek word parakaleo. We get the word paraclete from, to come alongside. I urge you, brethren, to note, scopio is the word, to mark, to keep an eye on those who cause division, decision, uh, strong disagreement, contention, or quarrel, and offensive, the the bait traps, scandalous, where you put the, the meat into the bait, and when the, the, the animal, whenever tries to grab it, they are caught in the trap. That's what Paul is saying here. An offensive contrary to the doctrine which you learn. That's why we need to be in the word. As we're going through the book of John, the Logos, the word of God, Jesus Christ. And he's saying if we're in the word, we should be washed. We should be saturated by the washing of the water of the word day in and day out. Because when these false heresies and these false teachings come down the pike to us, we can quickly set them aside because we know the truth of the gospel. I'm reminded of what my sister says when she worked for the uh, Secret Service agent. And she would always uh, handle counterfeit money. And she said, you know, we didn't have to look at this counterfeit or that counterfeit. All we had to know is what real money felt like and looked like. So when counterfeit would come up, we would automatically know it was counterfeit. Same thing with the word of God. If we know the word, when these heresies, when these cults come around teaching a false gospel, we can avoid them. We can push them to a side. He says, contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them, the word avoid, eklilino, keep away. And it's present imperative. We must continually keep away from these false teachings, for these false doctrine. Continually keep away from decision and all these other things when people are trying to quarrel and strife. It's amazing that Paul is saying this to the body of Christ. He's not speaking to the unsaved. He's saying this to the church. Watch out for division. Watch out for strife. He says, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. When he uses this word belly, he's really speaking of their own flesh. That's what it usually boils down to. You're wanting a, a, an, a you have your own agenda. You want a following to come following you after you instead of following Jesus Christ. You have an ulterior motive. And Paul is saying, don't be carried away. He says, and by smooth words and flattering speech, be careful. Those who are not on the watch for these people and who do not listen closely enough to what they are teaching, they might be led astray. 
and into ultimate spiritual ruin, and you don't want that. It's okay to be innocent. It's okay to be guileless. That's what Jesus said of Nathaniel in John 1:47. Here truly, he says, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, no guile. But it can also leave people open to the subtle, the schemes and plots of those who take advantage of them. So that's why we must be careful. That's what Paul is concerned about right here. He says, deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul wants them to combine innocence with wisdom, to confine, set bounds and limitation with those deceitful people. Bruce puts it this way, F.F. Bruce, this is what he says. They should not be so simple-minded as to swallow whatever is offered. Jesus puts it better in Matthew 10, 16. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That's the way we should live. Verse 19, Paul says, for your obedience has become known to all. That's something to live for. Paul, at the beginning of the book of Romans, chapter one, verse 18, he boasts about the Roman church. He says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good. That word wise, sophos, it means skilled. It means an expert, expert artificer. Someone who is skilled in separating gold and, and, and silver from the dross. Separating the precious from the vile. That's what the Holy Spirit does in my life. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life, day in and day out. He separates the precious from the vile. I can't do it. You guys can't do it. I can't look at someone and say, hey, let me separate the good from the bad. That's called judging. No, we allow Jesus Christ to do that. We allow the Holy Spirit to do that because he can do it better than any of us. He says, what is good and simple concerning evil. That reminds me of 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Paul says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. That goes a long way. But in your thinking, be mature. And then verse 20, God, once again, he's the ultimate separator of the precious and the vile. He knows how to do that. He separates the wheat from the chaff. Matthew 13, 24 through 30 says this, Jesus speaking. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain has sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? 
How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to then, then to go and gather, up, gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. That's what happened when believers try to judge another believer. We don't do that well. We need to let the Lord, the Holy Spirit do that. Jesus says, let, the, let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 20, he says this, and the God of peace, shalom. Do you have peace this evening? Do you have that peace that surpasses all understanding? No matter what's happening in the world, no matter what's happening in your sphere of life, no matter what's happening in a church, do you have peace? We should because that's what the Lord has promised us. That's what Jesus Christ has promised us. It says in Romans 15, 33, Paul says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Hebrews 13, 20, 21 tells us, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that. That great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus says this in 1427 of John. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. So to conclude this warning, Paul added this promise, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That's good news. That is good news. That that's going to happen. Paul reaches all the way back to the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.15, and quotes the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. Even then, when he quoted it to Adam and Eve, they knew what that meant. It would be two, three thousands of years later and he did that at the cross. And I, know, I don't know how much longer it will be that he will do it forever and ever. But it's going to happen. He's saying, mark those who cause division. Note them. And when they come with this strife and quarreling and backbiting, avoid them and continue to avoid them. Because at that time, they're in league with the enemy. That's exactly what the scripture is saying here. He says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And now Paul gives greeting from his friends to these home churches at Rome. He says in verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, Remember, he's a native of Lystra, Timothy is. 
Paul meets Timothy through his, 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 his uh, grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. Paul says, I have no other one that's like-minded, like Timothy. I could send you Ephras. Uh, I could send you Dr. Luke. But I really care about you guys, so I'm going to send you Timothy. He's like-minded. Philippians 2.22 says this, but you know his proven character, speaking of Timothy, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. I wonder, would that be fun, serving with Paul? <laughs> you'd have to be thick-skinned and you'd have to be tough to serve with Paul, but I think I would enjoy it because Paul doesn't have time for foolishness. Paul has a one-track mind, and that's sharing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.20 says this, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. When things aren't going right, when maybe you've drifted away from the Lord a little bit, you need someone to care for your, your state. And then he says, and Lucius. And this has been identified as Lucius of Cyrene, a prophet or teacher in the church. He was from Syrian Antioch. Then he says, Jason and Susa Pater. Verse 20, or he says, they are my countrymen, greet you. And then verse 22, I, Tertullus, remember, he was the one who dictated this letter for Paul. I, Tertullus, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. He says, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church greets you. Aratus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother. He ends with this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then he ends it, the closing benediction. Now to him who is able to establish, establish you, to make you stable, to place you firm, to set fast. It's, it's almost, I heard someone say, establish is a word like cement that keeps you fast, stated in your walk with the Lord. Now to him who is able to establish you, speaking of God, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. These two phrases are essentially synonymous right here. My gospel and the preaching of Christ. It's called the, the kerygma, the de declaration of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear what he has to say about it. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 25 says this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request the sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. We read about that in, in Romans chapter uh, two. And the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, we have nothing to do with it. We can't say yes or no till the Lord calls us. 
but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the dudamus of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Latter part of verse 25, he says, according to the revelation of the mystery. What is a mystery? A secret once kept dark in the dark, but it has been revealed in a later age. The mystery was truly hidden in the Old Testament, but that mystery revealed is in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they were to look closely, the gospel is weaved all the way through the Old Testament. That's what Paul is saying here. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. It was the father's heart. It was the Godhead heart to save people. He's always wanted that. Always uh, preface it like this, that mean God of the Old Testament, his heart from everlasting to everlasting was to save people. Kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, has been revealed. Ephesians chapter three, verse eight through nine, Paul puts it this way. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. The Logos, there it is, John 1. Also, he says in Colossians 1, 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. He says, and by the prophetic scriptures, like I just said, the Old Testament, the gospel is hid in that. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was hidden in the Old Testament scriptures, but is revealed in the New Testament. He says, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God. It's not God's will that anyone should perish. Anyone should perish. But all come to the knowledge of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, what blows me away, for obedience to the faith. Obedient to the faith is passive. What that tells me, once I become a believer, God is going to work in me to be obedient to the faith. Scripture said it is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if I just repent of my sins, surrender my life to Jesus Christ, sincere about that, the Holy Spirit comes inside of me, then I just yield. I allow him to transform me into the image of his dear son. It's passive. I've did the hard part. He begins to work in me for obedience to the faith. And then he closes here. To God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. World's unend. 
Let's pray. Father, you're amazing. I'm reminded of what my dad said. If I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't praise you enough. We will spend an eternity, those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, revealing, you will be revealing yourself to us. The cherubims fall down after saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and is to come. Because every time they get back up, they see a different aspect of who you are. Lord, expand our hearts to love you more. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that. Lord, make our hearts pliable. Make our hearts pliable to allow you to pour into us. To have a closer, intimate walk with you. You have given us your love letter, these scriptures, speaking to us, Ruach, God breathed to us. And Father, we ask that we would not rest on our laurels, that we would not be some of those who say, I'm saved now, I can sit back and live any way I want to. We might better check ourselves when we say that. But Lord, I pray that we would be on fire for you, that you would let the Holy Spirit, that we would let the Holy Spirit have his way in us, no matter what's going on. We don't have to be like that prophet was who said, Elijah, who says, Lord, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. No, we're not the only one left at Calvary Restored. You're going to do big, great things here. If we would only seek your face and yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to have his way. Lord, we're in your hands. Lord, I pray for every member here, Lord, that I know uh, COVID has swept through once again, Father, and I pray for the health of the believers here, Father. I pray that also that you would protect us and protect our families and loved ones, Lord. But Lord, I'm reminded, once again, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. So give us wisdom as we leave these doors, Lord, that we understand that our life is in your hands, that you have numbered our days. So let's live for you. So Father, I pray that the families here tonight would draw closer to you. Those that are watching would draw closer to you and allow you to have your way in us. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.